Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians tonight. We're going to look at Lesson 7. If you didn't get a lesson when you came in, did anybody not get one? A handout? I have one right here if you need one. Richard, do you need one? John, do you need one? Yeah, Tanner, would you grab a couple for those gentlemen for me, please? They're at the door. They're inside the yellow bulletins. If you could grab a couple of those and get one to John and to Richard. If anybody else needs one, just raise your hand. Brother Jeff, you need one? Grab a bunch, Tanner. Oh, you've got one. You weren't paying attention. I'll pass the notes in class. <laughs> the shoes on the other foot, he used to teach me, and I'd get in trouble. <laughs> so, turn to Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit. Lesson 7 of our continued discipleship is uh, the Holy Spirit. And um, so let's look there tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, thank you, Tanner. Verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Let's have a word, a prayer, and ask God to help us understand. Father, teach us tonight with your Holy Spirit. As we talk about the Holy Spirit, we pray that he would teach us about himself. Help us understand the word of God and to learn tonight and to grow. Lord, the Holy Spirit is one of the most essential parts of our salvation. Without Him we are lost, but without Him we cannot function. And we thank You, Lord, for the power and the peace that He gives. So help us now, we pray. Fill me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The moment you got saved, God Himself came to live within your life in the person of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we just read, was a, transform, uh, a, trans, a transformational verse in the life of somebody I, I just talked to. They started coming to our church a little while ago, and he said this. He said, in the church that I came from, they taught us a few things about the Holy Spirit in that if you did not speak in tongues, you did not have the Holy Spirit. The tongues was the evidence of the Holy Spirit. It was the gift that God gave that proved that you had the Holy Spirit of God. And I would agree with that only in the sense that that's what happened in the book of Acts three times. That's it. It was a sign gift against the unbelief of the Jews to prove that somebody else, the Gentiles, could receive the Holy Ghost. And so we don't have that. The Bible says tongues shall cease. The Bible says that very plainly. But he said, it was such a thing that he said, I was taught that you could receive the Holy Spirit, that you would speak in tongues, and that was evidence of that. I also was taught that you could lose your salvation, that the Holy Spirit could depart from you, and you could lose your salvation. He says, I believe that. And he said this, he says, COVID was actually very good for me. He says, because I had a lot more time. He says, work was shut down for times and things like that, and I just focused on learning the Bible. He says, it's, it's amazing. He says that work is important, and he's a hard worker. He works still. He says, but I didn't have the time, or I didn't take the time, to really get into God's Word. And the more I studied it, the more I realized, there's some things in here that don't line up with what I was taught. And he said, I started watching some preachers online and listening and comparing it to the Bible. And he says, I found out that the preachers that were preaching the Bible were mainly Baptists, or Bible-type preachers that were Baptistic in their doctrine. And he says, it amazed me, and he says, but this is the verse that really caught him, Ephesians 1.13. 
He says, the Bible says that after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He says, so if I believed and I was sealed by the Holy Spirit, number one, I was sealed, and the other scripture says, sealed unto the day of redemption. How, how, he says, how in the world do I not have the Holy Spirit if he sealed me when I believed? And number two, he says, there's nothing there. He says, if I had to speak in tongues, it would say right there that when he sealed you and came into your life, the evidence of that would be manifest in the speaking tongues. He said, there were so many things that just blew my mind from that one scripture that undid all the things that I've been taught. I'm glad that when I was saved, I received the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And the Bible says it this way, he that hath the Son hath life. I hath the Son. We have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit of God. We have him, we possess him, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. But what does that mean for our life on a daily basis? How does that help us in our daily walk with God? And so let's look at some of those things tonight. Roman numeral one, the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart. All right, so we're going to look at a couple functions of the Holy Spirit in a general sense, and then we'll break it down and look at some things more particular. But in the first general principle we'll make tonight is that the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart. Think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, it's expedient for you that I must go. He was going to leave and he was going to send his spirit. He was coming to dwell with us. Because he never would leave us comfortless, he said. He would always have his presence in our life. And so the Holy Spirit was coming to minister to us. Look at John 14, verse 16. The reference is there in your notes, and I'll quote it for you. And I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. You know what the word abide means? It means to dwell or live. How long will he live with us? Forever. Forever. I look at this verse and I consider the eternal security of my soul. Because in order for my soul to be cast in hell, God has to break that promise. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, my spirit will abide with you forever. And if he were to cast me into hell, his spirit would have to go with me in order to keep that promise. And we know for a fact that that's not going to happen. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit and he will comfort us and he will minister to us. So back in lesson two, we talked about the Holy Spirit how he is part of the Trinity. And then as we saw in lesson four, the Holy Spirit indwelt us when we talked about our salvation. Here's how important the Holy Spirit is. Every lesson from this point forward will mention the Holy Spirit. He is part of everything in our spiritual walk. And so let's look at some of these things. Letter A, he is the divine comforter. He is the divine comforter. Probably one of the things that we recognize most readily about the Holy Spirit is his comforting ministry in our lives. We, 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 we have sorrow, we have grief, but we notice and we appreciate the Holy Spirit that comforts us and works us in our heart. And you say, well, how does he do that? Sometimes he just reminds us of his promises. You ever, you ever been doing something and frustrated maybe and all of a sudden a verse pops in your head? Sometimes a chorus pops in your head. And uh, I, I've been humming that chorus. We sang that song Sunday, praise the Lord, Psalm 150. Let everything that have breath, praise the Lord. I've been humming that chorus all week. It just brings joy to sing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All ye heavens sing his praises. I've just been singing it in my mind and my heart. And I, I think the Holy Spirit gives us that song. And so he brings comfort 
by bringing those things into our life. He reminds us of the promises of God. So he's the divine comforter. We've already looked at, he said, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. How is it comfort? And the, and the words are used in the same sentence. And by the way, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit comforter four different times in the scriptures. But how is it a comfort that he teaches us all things? I think probably all of us have embarked on something in our life at some point or another where we were very nervous about it until we learned it. And then once you learned it, you became comfortable and you fit in. And maybe it was the first time you came to Bethel Baptist Church. You sat here and you listened and you heard the music and you wondered, will I ever have fellowship? Will I ever make friends? I, it's strange walking into a new place for the first time. But once the Holy Spirit helped you learn about our church and grow and, and be, have some fellowship and some friends, you became more comfortable. And maybe it was that first job. You were nervous about it until you learned how to perform. And the Bible says that it's, it's no different in our walk with God, that as He teaches us things, it becomes a comfort in our life because He reinforces His promises, His truths. We know more about heaven. We know more about our, uh, how we can overcome sin. We know that we have victory in Christ Jesus. We know that sting has, uh, the death has no sting. And we just learn all these things, and the comfort comes from knowing those things by the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26 says, says this, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Often at a funeral I will say to people, one of the ways the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples they would be comforted is that he will, they will, the, the Spirit of God would come to them and testify of Jesus. Uh, the Bible reinforces that thought in, in verse, chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. And if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Spirit was coming, and he will testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will bring to remembrance all things that I have said unto you. That's what Jesus said in, in the next verse, John 16, verse 8. And you say, well, how is that a comfort? Because there's memories there. He's going to testify to me. He's going to remind you of me. He's going to tell you the good times. And he's going to reinforce my mission in your life. And we receive comfort the same way by sharing those things. And so the Holy Spirit is the divine comforter. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're not going to deal with heartaches and trials and, and, and sorrows. And it's, it's not just for unbelievers. It's for us too. We live in a fallen world. And so we must have the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to comfort us. Letter B, he guides us to truth. He guides you to truth. Without the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives, we would be left to navigate our way through life's decisions and all the struggles and concerns of this life on our own. Yet the Holy Spirit of God comes and he guides us into truth. You might call it discernment. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment. We know right from wrong. How many, how many of you are just absolutely shocked when you hear these people in the streets screaming out for transgenderism? It's just some of the foolish things out of their mouth. I saw this, 
the, the, uh, this interview the other day, and this, there was these two obvious men with beards, and they had long hair and makeup, and they dressed in dresses, and, and they said, we are women. We are women. And uh, I'd be, I was jealous of their beards. I mean, good night. Some of the silly things, and they, they were celebrating feminism. And they were telling women how to be more feminine. Well, shave your beard for one. You know, Brother Roberts, were you ever attracted to any girl with a beard? Never. Never. And so they're trying to teach people. And I thought, this is the most vile, foolish thinking. But here's the thing. Sin destroys the mind. It's just as bad as a drug. And their minds are so polluted. And here's what the Bible calls them, reprobate. Reprobate minds that they don't even know it's on. They think it's they've turned the truth of God into a lie. And you can go right down the list. Abortion. This is human rights. Not for the baby, it's not. Human rights. I tell you what, you ever hold a newborn baby in your arms and think, how could they ever kill this little child? It's incredible. They're, they're just recently, I think, is in the state of Virginia where they're saying now that they're trying to pass a law. They say, well, we think we should be able to kill that child after the, up to a month of age. If that child's born and we find out that it has Down syndrome or we find out it has maybe a heart defect or something else, we should be able to euthanize that child up to a month or two months of age. See if they can fix it, but if they can't, we should be able to euthanize that child. That's and by the way, you're absolutely crazy if you disagree with them. They have turned the truth of God into a lie. They'll call evil good and good evil. And they've turned the... Listen, where has discernment gone? Thank God the Holy Spirit is still alive and well. And, and, and you say, in my heart, automatically when I hear stuff like that, I go, oh man, that is just terrible. That's the Holy Spirit of God keeping you straight. He has given you a sense of right and wrong. He's helped you discern truth from a lie, darkness from light. That's, that's what he does. And so thank God for the teaching of the Holy Spirit as he guides us into truth. John 16, 13 says, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So he guides us into truth. Letter C, he strengthens you for service. He empowers us. He strengthens you for service. In lesson 10, we'll find out later on, uh, as we look forward, the Holy Spirit has specially and supernaturally equipped every believer for a mission in the local church, somehow to serve. He has given you a spiritual gift, and we'll look at that later on. But let's just touch on it really quickly. He strengthens you for service. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 3, 16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So the Spirit of God gives you strength. He gives you boldness. He gives you power. Letter D, he empowers your witness. He empowers your witness. He gives you boldness for soul winning. Telling other people about Jesus, you have a testimony now. And one of the desires of a Christian is to share the good news of our salvation. So the Holy Spirit uses your testimony to tell others, just like Jesus did, what Jesus did 
for you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 5.32, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. So there's a partnership, isn't there? We are witnesses, and so also is the Holy Ghost who God hath given unto us. And so every day the Holy Spirit is with you to minister to your heart in ways that you may not even be aware of. And it's amazing how many times, and listen, don't deny it, how many times have you been somewhere, you've been sitting with somebody, and the Holy Spirit says, you ought to invite them to church. You ought to give them a track. They're pouring out their heart to you, they're heartbroken about something, and the Holy Spirit says, tell them about my comfort. Tell them about Jesus, what he did for them. A lot of times we disobey. We come up with some excuse, well, it... You know, the conversation didn't go that direction, or I just, I don't know, something they left before I could get to them or something. We make up some excuse, but that's the Holy Spirit of God saying, go get them. Go and share the gospel. So number one, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he ministers to us. Number two, being filled with the Holy Ghost makes the Christian life work. It makes the Christian life work. Imagine this, without the Holy Spirit, you'd be like a ship without a rudder. He guides us and directs us and He keeps us. Now, you could live a life, but you could not live a Christian life. You could not live for God apart from the Holy Spirit. So have you ever considered how impossible the Christian life is? Think about all the things that God has called us to do. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. How do we do that? That's not, that's not something that we want to do. Paul said, I, I, I must crucify my flesh. I keep myself under subjection. I die daily. And all those things are impossible for us to even think of apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And so, letter A, Scripture instructs us to be filled with the Spirit. You all know the verse, right? Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the fullness of the Holy Spirit is not to be confused with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Understand that. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling us the moment we got saved. When we believed, we were, uh, He gave us the Holy Spirit of promise. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence in your life. He puts His seal upon you. That's another ministry. He seals you under the day of redemption. A seal has a twofold purpose, doesn't it? A seal protects... And a seal identifies. Now, the Jews would understand that we're receiving this letter. They would understand what a seal was. In those days, a courier would take a letter, a scroll, and a seal would be put on. A wax seal with a signet from a ring would be put upon it. And that ring had a symbol in it, and it would tell who that belonged to. The seal of the Holy Spirit says, we belong to Jesus. So it is a seal of both protection and a seal of ownership or identification. It tells who we belong to. But the Bible says we are also to be filled with the Spirit. And the word filled means uh, to be controlled by. So Ephesians 5.18 says that gives us an illustration here. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. When somebody is drunk with wine, they are controlled by wine. Their behavior is changed by wine. Uh, it, it's amazing to see. I, I don't I don't know what, what it is, but I, 
you know, I, over the years, I've been to places where I have seen drunken people, whether it's staggering down the street or whatever it is. And, and you know, I've been to a wedding maybe, and somebody drinks and they get drunk. And for some reason, it's always funny to other people to see drunk people. You'll hear a, maybe some a, a comedian or something, and they'll start slurring the words and acting drunk, and they think it's a big joke and it's funny. It is one of the most foolish things you'll ever watch. It's so silly and, and demeaning to the person. And, 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 and people will do things while they're drunk that they would never do while they're sober. They have lost control of their senses. And so the illustration that he gives us is don't be drunk with wine where it's in excess. Don't be controlled, but instead be controlled by the Spirit. Yield yourself to him. And by the way, if, if you're a, a drinker and you're getting drunk, you are yielding yourself. You are giving yourself over to it. And that's a danger to be controlled by something else. Because when you're controlled by something, you, the, all, the, all the suggestions of Satan can be just filled right into your life. And he can take over. And so let's be controlled by the Spirit of God as we yield to him. So first of all, letter A, Scripture instructs us to be filled with the Spirit. Letter B, Scripture instructs us to walk in the Spirit. And so this is a daily decision. This is a daily decision to surrender and yield to the Spirit of God and to walk in the Spirit of God. There was a fellow years ago by the name of Frank Laubach who decided he wanted to walk in the Spirit, and he struggled with it at first. He says, there were times he said, I'd, get, I'd wake up in the morning and I would try to set my mind on I'm going to walk in the Spirit before I even put a foot on the floor out of my bed. And he'd pray and he'd get ready and he'd go and he'd, and, and he'd write a journal and he says, after two and three months, he says, this walking in the Spirit is so difficult. I only find that I can do it for about an hour, and then I'm sliding off in my mind to things I shouldn't be, or I'm caught up in the affairs of this world once again. And, and nothing may be very sinful, but just distracting. But after six months of focusing and trying and working and praying and being filled with the Spirit and reading his Bible, he, he says, I'm still not doing it for an entire day. But he says, the times that I am, I feel like I'm walking on air. He says, things that were difficult before are now effortless as God and his Holy Spirit are making all the decisions for me. And it was an experiment of faith that he said, I want to walk in the Spirit of God and there's no greater life. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, this I say then, and here's, here's what happens, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, who are you obeying? Think about it like a flashlight. You point a flashlight and you walk in the light. You'd be wise to anyway. I remember as a kid going camping with mom and dad and you go to those campgrounds where you had to go to a bathroom. It wasn't at where your trailer was or your tent was or whatever. And so you get a flashlight and you'd walk. But if you didn't follow the light and you just kind of held it over that way and walked, you'd fall in the ditch or in a hole or you'd trip over a branch or do something. And that's what happens. We have the Spirit of God and we have a light pointing us and yet we sometimes go the other way. And when we go the other way, we're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You say, I want to go this way. My eye sees this and so I'm going to go after it. He says, no, walk in the Spirit. He brings light into your life and He's there to guide you. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells you. You're saved by the Spirit. You're sealed by the Spirit. Why not live by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit? So this is just a matter of saying no to our fleshly impulses 
and saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Letter C. Scripture warns us not to sin against the Spirit. So can I sin against the Spirit? The Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. Now, it's, it's almost impossible to talk about the Holy Spirit of God without using the article the. Isn't it? The. Now, I would never say the Jesus because he's a person, right? But we say the Holy Spirit and he is a person. Oswald J. Smith wrote a book on the person of the Holy Spirit, and he tried to set out in the book not to use the word the for the whole thing. And it was it was odd type of book, but it was sermons, a compilation of sermons. And he just kept reinforcing the thought, he's not a the, he's a he. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. And he's the Holy Spirit. And so we must not sin against him. Christians can grieve and quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grieving the Holy Spirit takes place when we willfully sin, even when he convicts our heart that we are doing wrong. So Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So he's saying there's some certain things that you allow into your life that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So he gives those in the second verse, verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. That malice means with anger, push it away because it's harmful. You don't want it. But I wonder sometimes when he says all these things, bitterness, wrath, he says, well, I, I'm not a very bitter person. I don't have anger, and anger can sometimes lead to wrath, and that's not in my life and clamor. But what are we watching? What are we entertaining? I remember when I was in college, there was a couple guys that talked about their, they said, you know, when we were in high school, there was this film came out, and it was called The Thousand Faces of Death. I said, what is that? And they said, well, they said there was this film, and it just, it caught video from whether it was security cameras or whatever it was, of people dying. It might have been a hospital security camera, somebody coming in the hole, and they're working on them, and they die. And it would try to capture their faces. And they said, that's all the movie was, just showing people dying one after another. And they said, when we were in high school, we went Halloween night, we watched that thing. And they said, a couple of them, they said, it was just the most horrifying thing. We, we just feed our body with that and our minds with that stuff all the time. And some of these things that we see on TV, and, and the Bible says, put away all that. So, well, I don't do it. Don't entertain it. Put it away from you. Why? Because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God, and that Holy Spirit of God, His job is to protect you. He's sealing you under the day of redemption. He's trying to protect you from that stuff, so don't grieve Him. But quenching the Holy Spirit takes place when we continually ignore or resist His promptings. In other words, we just quiet that voice. He's pleading with you, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't lie. Don't clamor. Don't, no evil speaking. Don't gossip. And in our hearts, we just, and we just keep ignoring it and ignoring it, and finally we quench it. That means to extinguish or to put out. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 just simply says, quench not the Spirit. Maybe tonight you're saying, well, I, I haven't heard the Spirit speak in a long time. Maybe you've quenched Him. And you need to ask Him, God, give me a greater sensitivity. Let me hear that voice again. Let me know your impulses in my life. I know the Spirit of God is there, but how do we get back to that? One, you need to seek forgiveness. 
And two, you need to yield and be filled with the Spirit of God again and begin to walk in the Spirit, and He'll speak to you again. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to live the Christian life in your own human strength. You need the Spirit of God. Roman numeral three. Roman numeral three. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of this transformation in your life. So when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life, there's some things that begin to change. The incredible blessing of the Spirit-filled life is that the Holy Spirit transforms your life from the inside out. And it begins to show in some very specific ways on the outside. His work shows up in our lives. Scott and Terry Shaw are some friends of ours from down in the States, and they had started a church here in Ancaster, and so we, we kind of we were in neighboring cities, and so one day a week he would come down and he'd go do some visits with me, and I'd go up on the afternoon, we'd have lunch together, and then we'd, I'd go do visits with him in the afternoon because we didn't have a partner, so we'd do that with each other. And uh, we've remained friends. We just saw them this summertime when we were down in Pennsylvania and, and coming back from my father-in-law's funeral and we stopped in and we went to church with them and had lunch with them and had some time there with them. Terry's mother just passed away this spring and her name was Cuella. Cuella, that's kind of a name you don't hear every day. C-U-E-L-L-A. But her nickname was Cruella. You know who Cruella is? She's a Disney character and I guess she's mean as a snake. I don't know. I, I missed that one. I don't know. But uh, Cruella, because for cruel. And Scott said, we used to call her Cruella because she was just mean as a snake. He says, her husband couldn't hardly breathe uh, without her getting angry about it. And, and she was always on us and on my kids and just always mean. He says, and, and this, was, this was probably 10 years ago now. And he says, but about 10 years ago, so 20 years ago now, he says, something changed in her. He says, all of a sudden she became sweet and kind and completely different. I said, what do you think happened? He said, I think she got saved. He said, I think she was just professing before that. She went to church every Sunday. She went to the Fairfax Baptist Temple in Virginia. She worked at the Pentagon. That was her job. She worked at the Pentagon, lived in Fairfax, Virginia. And he says, I, he says, I really believe she got saved that day. And he said, from that point on, she was the sweetest lady. And when we met her, she was a really nice lady, great lady. And... Uh, that's what happens when Christ comes in and the Holy Spirit of God takes over. It's, there's the fruit of the Spirit is evidenced in your life. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, or, or gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So as these qualities are known collectively as the fruit of the Spirit, they should continue to develop in your life and are evidenced as the Holy Spirit is at work. Listen, sometimes you're going you're gonna to fly off the handle, you're going to get angry, some things happen, I get that. But it should become less and less. As the Spirit of God is allowed to take over in our lives. Listen, you, here's, here's a good test. If you find yourself getting irritable again and you weren't normally irritable, maybe you're not walking in the Spirit. Maybe you're not filled with the Spirit. Maybe you've let your guard down a little bit. Maybe sometimes uh, the, those old words come back in your heart and you when you get angry. Maybe you're not walking in the Spirit like you ought to be. And so let's look at these. We'll just break them down very quickly. All your blanks for the next several, uh, I think 11 blanks, are just going to be these words one right after another. Number Letter A, the Holy Spirit produces love. 
I'm going to give you some other scriptures there. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. Charity suffereth long, that's love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So love is one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it changes everything. Letter B, the Holy Spirit produces joy. Joy. There ought to be a joy in your life. Even when you're sorrowing, there's joy, because the promises of Christ never change, and He'll never leave you nor forsake you. John 15, 11, Jesus is saying to the disciple, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. Not just come and go, but may remain. Listen, happiness comes and goes. We're not happy about certain things at certain times, but you can still have joy. That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The Holy Spirit produces joy. Let us see. The Holy Spirit produces peace. You have a peace in your life. John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Spirit of God brings peace. Letter D, long-suffering. Long-suffering. That's the ability to suffer long with other people or situations. To put up with, in other words. I was just thinking, um, what is the date today? 26. So in two days, you've been married for 55 years. Is that right? Happy anniversary. 55 years. And here's, here's what I've learned. You can live... It's far more impressive to be married for 55 years than it is to live for 55 years. And here's why. In order to live for 55 years, you just have to keep breathing. To be married for 55 years, you have to put up with somebody else's breathing. And that's the truth. Being able to suffer along with one another. You've probably learned a lot in 55 years about each other. You've learned patience. You've learned how to live with one another. You've learned how to sacrifice, to put the other person first. We all do that, right, when we get married. I'm not just centering you up. We all have to learn that. That's what long-suffering is, is learning how to tolerate and to love and to uh, put up with a lot of things in our lives. Patience is another word for it, or endurance in the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.3 says that thou, for, that thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So be long-suffering. Letter E, the Holy Spirit produces gentleness. 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So Paul says we were gentle among you. Think about that, the Apostle Paul. How many times do you read the epistles and think, well, Paul was a very gentle person? I withstood Peter to the face. How many times does he just he gets upset about something? Paul says, I wish I were there so I could straighten you out, but I'll just give you this letter. You know, and he rebukes them about sin in their church. It should not be named among you. But to the church at Thessaloniki, he says, I was gentle as a nurse that cherisheth her children. The Holy Spirit produces goodness. Galatians 6.10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them which are of the household of faith. Are you good to other people? The Holy Spirit produces faith. Luke 17.5, And the apostles said in the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Holy Spirit has come, and He is to guide us into all truth. 
And the faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As we are guided into the truth, our faith grows. Letter H, the Holy Spirit produces meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, and yet he was one of the greatest leaders you will ever meet. It is strength under God's control. That's what meekness is. Having strength under God's control. It is eating, yielding our way for God's glory. Matthew 5.5 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Titus 3.2, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. How do you treat other people? Letter I, the Holy Spirit produces temperance, that's self-control. Temperance is the opposite of excess. It is having a disciplined life. 1 Corinthians 9, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may uh, obtain. And so he said we're to keep ourselves under. Think about a runner and all that they have to do to be prepared for a race. It's, they live without excess. They train and they put aside a lot of worldly pressures that they might uh, be at their very peak for their performance. And he says that's what the Christian life is like. For the sake of the gospel, I'm not going to live to excess, but I'm going to show temperance. And so look over that list in your Bibles and let's give you some application tonight. Three things and, and then we'll be done. Our time is almost gone. There are three vital ways we must yield to the Holy Spirit. Three ways we must yield to the Holy Spirit. So all these things we talked about tonight, it comes through yielding. It comes through yielding. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, here's the thing. A lot of times, you'll go through your day, and there's no pressure, there's no stress. You're just having a good day. And you don't have to worry about dealing with conflict. And you're not going to lash out at anybody. But when your life comes under pressure, that's when these things really begin to reveal themselves. Well, they're, they're, he's a meek guy, and he's, he shows temperance, and he's, he's kind, and he's good. But he's not under pressure right now. What happens when he's under pressure? That's when we really have to walk in the Spirit and make sure that we're filled with the Spirit. And under those times of great pressure... What does the world see in you? And so here's three things that we must do as we yield to the Holy Spirit. Number one, make a definite commitment to yield every part of your life to Him. Just surrender. Just surrender. There are two types of unhappy in this world. There's people who are unhappy because they don't have Christ. And then there's Christians who are unhappy because they won't yield to Christ. And they're just in a constant fight, a constant struggle because they want to have their way, but yield to Him. Listen, here, here's the thing. You say, well, I, I want my way. You can have your way, but Christ's way is better. That's, that's the truth of it. He is working all things together for your good. He knows what's best for you. The Bible says in Romans 8 that He is searching your hearts, and He knows the will of God for you. And, and so if we just surrender to Him, life is so much better. Make a definite commitment to yield every part of your life to Him. Pray about it. Daily, number two, daily reaffirm your commitment to yield to Him. Every day, you probably have to reaffirm to your spouse your love. You, you, you say, I love you. Good night, I love you. You get off the phone, I love you, whatever. And you're just reaffirming things, that relationship. You're always reaffirming that relationship. Maybe it's a child with a parent, a parent with a child. You're reaffirming it. We must do the same with Christ. Reaffirm to Him, I want to yield. Lord, help me to yield. 
Life has a way of undermining your commitment to live for God. And uh, Satan will throw things in your path all the time. Pressures mount, struggles come up, and sometimes we forget who we belong to and that he's right there with us if we'll just call out to him. Number three, specifically ask the Holy Spirit to develop the areas in your life that you are lacking in. Specifically ask, so you say, well, I, you know, I have no problem really with temperance. Self-control is not an issue, but I have a trouble with my tongue, anger, lashing out. I'm not very meek. Pray about that. Specifically target those areas in your life and say, God, there's, there's some areas in my life I need to improve on. And so I don't know what they are. Ask your wife, she'll tell you. Ask your kids. Ask your kids. I, I remember one time Austin coming to me and saying, Dad, can I talk? And I said, yeah, sure. He says, and I'd been under, there had been a lot of pressure and things going on, and I'm not saying that as an excuse, I'm just giving you as an example. There had been a lot of pressure. And he said, Dad, he says, it just seems like your emotions are right on the edge right now. And he says, I, he says I, you've not lashed out at me or anything, but he says, I, I just don't feel like I can come approach you because you might get upset with me. I said, I'm sorry. We sat down, we talked about it. And he was right. Just with all the pressures of life and things going on at the church, my mind just wasn't where it should have been as far as it was not on my family at that moment. The Bible says this, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. You say, well, I, you know, I've heard people say, when, when I, my relationship with God is number one and it ought to be, my wife is number two, my church is number three, or my family and wife are number two, my church is number three, and they prioritize all those things. I, I don't know if that's right or wrong, to be honest with you. Here's what I think. Your relationship with God ought to be number one. Your relationship with your family ought to be number one. Your relationship with everything, whatever you're doing, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do with thy might. Your kids ought to think they're the most important thing when you're there. When you're reading your Bible, God has to have all your heart. I'm just saying, don't, don't go sit with your family and say, well, listen, I want you to know you're second place. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. And if God has made it a purpose in your life, we ought not make excuses and say, well, I don't have time for it. We can work on those things, but we have to do it with the Holy Spirit's help. And yielding to Him and letting Him cultivate and grow these things in our lives. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Lord, bless our prayer time. I pray that you hear our cries tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.